The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. In an interview with The Times this week, levelling up Secretary Michael Gove suggested that the country's broken housing market could cause young people to lose faith in democracy. This morning, Laura Koonsberg showed Gove a variety of statistics emphasising the worsening of the problem since the Conservatives came to power and asked him who was responsible. You said yourself not long ago, the system is broken. But let's start by giving the audience a real picture of what is going on with some statistics. So let's have a look at this. You can see there how much the prospect of owning your own home has changed. Earnings have doubled since 1997. House prices have increased four and a half times. A huge, huge change. Then 10 years ago, if we look at our next graphic, we can show people the kind of impact that has had on social housing. Social housing, 180,000 of them have been lost since between 2012 and 2022, while the Conservatives have been in charge. That has resulted in such huge pressure being put on. If we look at the next set of statistics, that has meant We've got more and more evictions. Just last year, 6,003, just over 6,000 in 2022, rather. Last year, a significant increase to more than 9,000 people losing their rented homes when they had done nothing wrong, those so-called no-fault evictions. And the knock-on from that to temporary accommodation, where people end up, is a huge increase. You can see there, 2013, not long after the Conservatives had taken charge, 55,000. Now, 2023, more than 100,000 people in temporary accommodation. Now, Michael Gove, looking at that picture, it is bleak. You yourself said the system is broken. So who broke it? Well, all of the areas which you've drawn attention to are areas where we are taking action now. So we're taking action to increase the supply of homes overall, um, and it's important to stress that there have been 2.5 million homes built since 2010. Um, and that um, uh, if you look over the last 30 years, uh, the four years with the highest number of new homes have been since 2019. But who broke the system? Well, there are a variety of different factors that have driven the, the, the challenges that we face. Um, one is being the, uh, uh, the pressure, particularly in our cities, um, uh, sometimes as a result of overseas investment, but certainly as a result of population growth. The other thing has been the, the need to ensure that we have a pipeline of new homes, and that's why we're taking action this week, and we already have been in preceding months, to increase the supply, particularly in our cities, where the demand is greatest. Um, and then a third factor, which I think is important to, to bear in mind as well, is access to, to mortgage finance. And in the wake of the 2008 financial crash, for entirely understandable reasons, um, the, the rules were tightened up on lending overall, and that's had an impact um, on people's capacity to, to buy. But briefly, there were two other things you mentioned there. Mm -hmm. Social homes, and we're critically important, and, we're um, and, and, and the private detail. rented sector, so where we're taking action on both. Rishi Sunak was criticised this week for making a transphobic joke whilst attacking Keir Starmer for his policy U-turns. 
The Labour leader had pointed out that Esther Jai, mother of murdered transgender teenager Brianna, was in the public gallery. On Sky News, Trevor Phillips asked Michael Gove if Sunak should think again about the way he made his point. I'm going to ask you about your leader. Let me just ask you in a different yeah. way. Penny Morden called on the Prime Minister a couple of days ago to reflect on his remarks about the trans issue in the House this week. Now, I know that the Prime Minister says he's trying to make a point about Keir Starmer, but would you agree with her that he should think again about the way he made that point? No, I think that the Prime Minister was quite no. rightly drawing attention to the fact that Keir Starmer has U-turned 60 times. And, uh, the, no, the, the I'm talking about Sunak. Should he think again about yeah, the exactly. way he made that point? No, I think that uh, the Prime Minister was absolutely right to draw attention. All elections are choices. They're choices okay. between a government that has a plan and an opposition leader who doesn't and who has changed his mind consistently, um, abandoned every principle on okay. which he was selected as Labour leader and can't you, be you consistent You keep wanting to talk about question. somebody else's leader rather than your own, and I'm asking you about him. Uh, let, let, me just, uh, let me just put this straight to you. He's a great um, Prime Minister. Labour's potential U-turn on its £28 billion green investment pledge finally became official this week after rumours lasting more than a month. Trevor Phillips asked Pat McFadden why the party had changed its mind. Since this policy was announced, uh, interest rates have gone up a great deal. Let me just illustrate this for you. When it was announced, they were at 0.1%, basically zero. They're now at 5.25%. What that does to the cost of government borrowing is it means it's £70 billion a year more to service that debt now than it was when the policy was announced. Uh, and anyone watching this programme who's had to refinance their own mortgage in the last year or so will understand that those kind of interest rates have an impact on your borrowing costs. So the economics uh, made a difference here. But there's another point to remember in this. Although we've made a change, and a change is always difficult, about these things. Let us not lose sight of what has been kept here, because what's been kept through a different balance of financing between windfall taxes and borrowing is GB Energy, a publicly owned energy company to help drive the transition, uh, a national wealth fund that will invest I, in things like green steel for the future in our ports, and an important I, I home like insulation programme that will I help to like get bills done. So we've preserved a lot as well as making the change. I would like to come to those points, if I may, but let me just deal with your first point. Um, you say that uh, the economics have changed. Um, interest rates have been the same for the last two months. And Labour spokesperson after Labour spokesperson has come on this programme and said, 28 billion, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stick. What has changed? It isn't the interest rates that's changed. Is it just that you... Uh, got to the stage where you, particularly, um, it reported, have been trying to get Keir Starmer to drop this for months. Uh, is it the point that actually you realised that this was an electoral albatross and you, Pat McFadden, finally prevailed? No, I'll look, I read these stories and I don't recognise about them. This is a decision taken that, that's by very Keir disappointing. I, 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 I don't hear people saying Pat McFadden hadn't been ruthless enough very often. Look, it's not about me. It's about the right thing to do. And, of course, we took time to look at this. We want to step up to the plate on green transition so you can 
debate that it should have been done two months ago or it should have been done after the budget. You can debate the timing. You can debate the elegance. Neither of those are important in the end. What's important is getting to the right position. And there's another point that's often lost in this debate, uh, Trevor. Uh, the radicalism of a policy should not just be about the amount of public borrowing involved in it. And that's particularly true yeah. of the green transition. When it comes to the green transition, most of the investment in making it happen will come from the private sector. And part of the problem about the endless interviews that you and every other broadcaster was doing was all we were talking about was a borrowing figure. We weren't talking about green steel. We weren't talking about investment in the ports. We weren't talking right. about warm homes. Okay, we weren't I'm, talking about the establishment in GB Energy. My next question we were is only not about talking the about figures. a borrowing figure. It's been a terrible week for Joe Biden with a special counsel report on his handling of classified documents describing him as an elderly man with a significantly limited memory. In a surprise press conference in which Biden claimed his memory was fine, he also mixed up the presidents of Mexico and Egypt. Speaking to Laura Koonsberg, historian Simon Sharma defended Biden's presidential record but said his age definitely was a problem. Mm. No one can have missed the stories about President Biden mm. this week and the assessment of whether his memory is really up to scratch. What do you make of all of that watching on? Well, I mean, it, it, it's an extraordinary situation, Laura. Um, that um, the Biden government, after the horrific fiasco of the exit from Afghanistan and setting aside the real problem of the southern border, um, which nobody has any idea how to deal with. Mm. Other than that, this has been one of the most successful administrations since, since the war. Um, and the American economy is going gangbusters, highest growth rate. I know I'm sounding like a campaigner, which I'm not, mm -hmm. um, in the G7, uh, lowest unemployment and, and inflation down almost below 3%. And yet, and yet, Biden's popularity in the tank, as we all know. Why? Uh, you know, um, all sorts of journalists have been dancing around, but it is obviously the age problem. He's been running the government effectively, there's no reason to suppose not. And yet it is part of a job to be president, mm -hmm. to communicate very effectively, to get to the end of your sentences, to remember that um, Sisi is not the president of Mexico, but the president of Egypt. Mm -hmm. So now there is an extraordinary kind of, um, I, it's called in the American press, hair on fire panic going on about the Democrats, about who is going to say, uh, I, I saw the phrase, take the car keys away from grandpa, you know? And so this is a very interesting, but very, very troubling situation. Never mind about whether he's right to stand. Ought he to be, you know, I mean, what is, what is going on in the National Security Council right now? Well, so it is very troubling. Well, a Biden-Trump rematch might be a very yes, unusual election. The unhinged versus the well-meaning elderly. Well, what a choice. I'm sure, I'm sure. And finally, more than half the population of Gaza are taking refuge in the city of Rafah. And Foreign Secretary David Cameron has said he is deeply concerned over Israeli plans for a military offensive in the area. There is no obvious place for an evacuation and there could be huge civilian casualties. Kingsburg asked Michael Gove about the situation. The Foreign Secretary has made plain the government's concern. Yes about the Israelis' expected invasion into Rafah, where there are more than a million Gazans trapped. Do you echo that concern? What would you say to the Israelis? 
Um, I, I couldn't put things better than the Foreign Secretary has. Um, uh, and I think Simon Sharma and your panel explained the nature of the situation. Um, we need to make sure that the people who were taken hostage uh, by Hamas are returned to their families. Uh, the events on October the 7th were the worst loss of innocent Jewish life since the Holocaust. It was an horrific pogrom. And my heart grieves for Israel and what it's had to endure. At the same time, while it is absolutely right to deal with that terrorist threat, we know, and, and again, it, it's very difficult, we know that the, uh, the Gazan Palestinian population has been suffering. What we want to see, as the, as the Foreign Secretary and the Prime Minister have made clear, is a sustainable ceasefire. And that means an opportunity both to ensure that uh, there's an end to Hamas terrorism, but also that the aid and support that the Palestinian people need and deserve can be delivered. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this podcast was produced by Joe Bidell-Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. <laughs>